Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Welcome, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach on the Veritas Catholic Network, 1350 on your AM dial, broadcasting to the New York metropolitan area. Make sure for all of our content, you download the Veritas Catholic Network mobile app. And Joe and I are very pleased and honored to be joined today by Jesse Romero, and we're going to be talking about a very needed, very important conversation, the five stones against the culture of death. Now, I know many of you out there don't need me to give Jesse an intro, but just in case you do, Jesse Romero has a BA from Mount St. Mary's University in Los Angeles and an MA in Catholic Theology from Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. He is a bilingual Catholic author, recipient of the Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen Award, the Fullness of Truth Defender of the Faith Award, and Sports Faith International Award. Jesse's been doing it on Catholic radio for over 15 years now, hosting and teaching in both Spanish and English. He currently is a host at virginmostpowerfulradio.org, hosting the Terry and Jesse Show and Jesus 911. Jesse is also a host on a Spanish network show, in, in Familia Radio in Phoenix, Arizona. He is a resident of Arizona and a retired Los Angeles deputy sheriff who's been married to his wife, Anita, since 1983 and is a parent of three children and grandchildren. Jesse Romero, welcome back to the front line with Joe and Joe, brother. Thanks, guys. It's always good to be on with you. Excellent. Let's start with a prayer, Jess. We always start with a prayer, and because uh, all things start with a prayer, and this is a very good thing. In name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly unto you, a virgin, a virgin's our mother. To you we come, before you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency hear and answer us. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. As Joe said, Jess, we're going to be talking about the five stones against the culture of death. And I think a good place to start is we have to define our terms for our listeners. What do you mean by the culture of death? What's what's your definition of it? Well, let me go right to uh, the master at this definition because he's the one that coined it. His name is St. John Paul II. He's the one that gave us, he gave us that term, the culture of death. And it's funny, but a lot of people have ended up picking up on it. Uh, but here's what St. John Paul II said in 1995. It's in a document that he wrote uh, called the Gospel of Life. He says this, quote, a culture of death taken as a whole betrays a completely individualistic concept of freedom, which ends up becoming the freedom of the strong against the weak, who have no choice but to submit. St. John Paul II, Gospel of Life, paragraph 19. One more time. A culture of death taken as a whole betrays a completely individualistic concept of freedom, 
which ends up becoming the freedom of the strong against the weak who have no choice to submit close quote we are seeing the culture of death in action right now i would agree with you 100% that that is a perfect definition it's almost like he's here right now witnessing it and saying that jesse break that down for a second i mean because obviously one of the things that joe and i hammer on on the show all the time is this what we call number one it's a it's a, a um it's it's not a correct definition of what freedom is and then that misdefinition is then made into an idol it's the idolatry of this of this misinterpretation of what freedom is what is freedom i mean especially for catholics like how does the catholic church define jesse what freedom is the Pope John Paul II says that freedom is not the ability to do what you want to do. Freedom is the ability to do what you ought to do, ought to do. And so what are, what are the first principles of, uh, of the moral life according to Catholicism, St. Thomas Aquinas? It's this simple. Do good, avoid evil. Simple. That's the moral life, St. Thomas Aquinas. Do good, avoid evil. Simple. I would agree. Sadly, the good has become evil and the evil has become good because we've lost our moral compass. People think that if you're a Catholic, you're not free. You're bound. That is completely not the case. God gives us boundaries so we can be free. And we measure that by our joy. And I think that's something that the culture is missing. They're not chasing their joy because you cannot have joy when you don't have God. Jesse, have you noticed that, like, especially in the last year or so, we were talking about it before the show, um, that, I mean, even before COVID, it was like this, but during COVID, people have become just out and out nasty. In other words, when you talk about, like, I'm saying this because of what Joe just said, when you talk about lack of joy, you walk, like, I, I work in New York City, right? I walk down the street, all right, when I'm on my way to my job. People are just... They're just so atomized and isolated and they're in their phones and then you say hello or how are you? People are just have no joy whatsoever. And I'm not exaggerating. I'm I'm really not exaggerating. It's it's horrible. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I'll tell you why is because joy joy comes from not what's going around you. Joy comes from who lives in you, Christ. It's internal. It's not exterior, it's not margaritas, it's not dancing in the nightclub, that's titillation, that stuff, those are fleeting moments of pleasure, they come and go. Joy is a constant state of the soul because we know who we belong to, Jesus Christ. We know who lives in us, Jesus Christ. We could be locked up in a jail cell. We could be basically, everything could be taken from us and stripped. Joy is something that comes from a relationship with the living God, not from the externals around us. Absolutely. I mean, Ephesians 6, verse 12 tells us this, for our struggle is not with flesh and blood, but with principalities, with the powers, with the world rulers of this present darkness, with the evil spirits in the heavens. Sadly, Jesse, as I was just alluding to in our last uh, point that we were making, what is good is now evil, and what is evil is now good. People don't even believe in sin. They sure as heck don't believe in the devil or hell. Clearly, that is a misconception perception of reality so i put this question to you jesse is the devil real and how does he work here on earth the devil is more real uh than than uh than obviously most people would give them credit 
C.S. Lewis says that the devil's strategy is to get people to believe that he doesn't exist. And that's exactly what he, he the devil operates under deception. He operates in disguises. He operates in the stealth. The devil operates basically under the radar. He's a pure spirit. He doesn't have a body. And so a lot of people say, well, if you can't see it, you know, they fall into extreme rationalism. You can't see him. He doesn't exist. Demons and angels can't be seen unless they, unless by divine permission, but they can be felt. You could walk in, for example, you could walk into a, a, a pool hall, a bar with a bunch of guys from the Hell's Angels and a bunch of biker mamas that are dressed very immodest. You could walk in there and everybody's pounding beer, smoking dope. You feel the presence of demons. There are certain places that basically are infested with demons. By the same token, you can walk into some places, oratories, shrines, sites of apparitions. There are some places where you can go to and you sense the presence of angels and the divine. So evil spirits, and they can't be seen, but they can be felt. What's, what's interesting about what you said is just from my own personal experience. It's so true. Jesse, one of the things that Joe and I try to emphasize is particularly to Catholic men, to try to encourage other Catholic men is to be around holy people. We always talk about the orders, whether it's the Sisters of Life, whether it's the CFRs, the Missionaries of Charity. First Saturday, I mean, it speaks to what you're talking about. From my own experience, when I walk into old St. Patrick's Cathedral, first Saturdays of the month, okay, at eight o'clock in the morning, and Bishop Burns there, who's the bishop of that cathedral, and the Franciscan Friars, and now it's up to about almost 200 people show up, you know, early Saturday morning, and we celebrate Mass and then process down and pray in front of Planned Parenthood. Amen, brother. If you don't feel the holiness, then you, then there, there's something going on with you. You're surrounded by it. Not just not just the, the religious that are there, not just the, the priests that are there, but I'm talking about with the people who are prayerful, ready to worship God, and then process down and witness to the truth. It's so true. I wish people would just avail themselves of all the things that we have in our church. That's one of them. If you want to be around holiness and experience, get it. Get with one of these orders. Start going to soup kitchen and things like that and praying in front of abortion clinics. Believe me, you will experience that holiness. You'll feel it. And to what Jesse was saying about evil, feeling the presence of evil, you know, a lot of people, especially in this country, we're, we're a rich country, people have things, they think they're, they're too smart for their own good. They, the devil's smarter than us. By, by a million times. I mean, he, he knows our weaknesses. Talk about where he comes into our life, Jess, because I mean, I think a lot of people, they think like, oh, I can't be touched by this. Listen, the devil's smart. He knows your weaknesses. He gets into your life and it starts small and it grows. And that growth leads you away from God. Yeah, the, the, I think the paragraph in the catechism that describes what you just asked right now, Joe, is, uh, is paragraph 407. It says this. It says, the doctrine of original sin, closely connected with that of the redemption of Christ, uh, provides lucid discernment of man's situation. By our first parents, the devil has acquired a certain domination over man. Notice that. Because of original sin, the devil has acquired a certain domination over man. Even though man remains free, original sin, 
uh, entails captivity under the power of the devil who has the power of death. Now, here's where we go astray as, 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 as human beings, okay? It says, ignorance of the fact that man has a wounded nature, we call that concupiscence, that man has a wounded nature inclined to evil, gives rise to serious errors in the areas of education, politics, social action, and morals. So the catechism says these are the four things that the devil impacts using weak men and women, their fallen nature, their wounded nature, what Catholicism calls in Latin concupiscentia, the inclination to evil. It gets men and women that are in these power positions to start promoting evil and suppressing the truth through education, politics, Social action, social action. Want to talk about social action? Black Lives Matter, Antifa, just to throw two out there. And morals. We have somebody right now that was appointed by Joe Biden to be uh, to be one of the cabinet positions. And it's a Dr. Rachel Levine, who's a man who thinks he's a woman. Again, the devil has, has impacted man's nature. Man becomes so ignorant that even man's understanding of morality, right and wrong, uh, what's real from what's not real, is affected and impacted by the devil's domination over mankind. That's paragraph 407 of the Catechism. Jesse, I love that you quote the Catechism, because I do as well. The Catechism, that's John Paul's Catechism, just for clarification, everybody, that was published in 1992. I say this all the time. Catholicism is painting by numbers. It's all written down. Just read it. Read it. You don't have to be a scholar. It's a very readable text. You read it, and that is our guide. That's our guide. And you're saying it right from the book, and that's what it's about. It's not about me. I don't interpret the, the truth. Like, the truth is there. I'm here to just say it, and you're saying it, and I give you credit for that. Not enough of our Catholics know about the catechism. They don't read it. They should read it. And we're going to talk a little bit about that when we get into the five stones. For those of you who, who are just joining us, you're listening to The Frontline with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Network. And we are joined by Jesse Romero. And we're talking about the five stones against the culture of death. Go ahead, Joe Resinello. But you talked about our, our baptism. Let's get into that. Because every baptized Catholic, man or woman, Basically, according to that right, our baptism right, we are basically proclaimed to be soldiers of Christ. We are the church militant here on earth. Talk a little bit about that. What does that basically, what responsibility does that give to you, us? You better be careful, though, because remember, you just said soldiers of Christ. That means we're all domestic terrorists. But go ahead, Jesse. I'm sorry. You know, nice. You know, I, I, <laughs> I, I kind of like, you know, when I think of soldier of Christ, I think of Lepanto. I think of the Crusades, right? But of course, we're domestic terrorists. I just wanted to zip that in there. Go ahead, Jesse. When you were baptized, you became a child of God uh, or a, a daughter of God, a son of God. That's what baptism does. But as you progress in the spiritual life and the interior life, there comes a point when you become at, at the sacrament of confirmation at whatever age you receive, you're inducted into the army of God, whether you like it or not. And now you're, you're, now you're part of team Jesus. 
And now you're, you're serving the 12 star general, the blessed Virgin Mary. In fact, the term soldier of, of soldier of Christ, it's a biblical term. St. Paul, who's an apostle, tells Timothy, who is a bishop, who he's making a bishop. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Take your share of sufferings as a good soldier of Christ. Then St. Paul tells Timothy, No soldier on service gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to satisfy the one who enlisted him. There's other passages in the book of uh, Philippians, uh, book of Philemon, Romans chapter 8. It's a biblical term. What does that mean? Uh, there's a passage in the in, in, in uh, Job chapter 7, verse 1. I like the way it's it's uh, it's written in the Dewey Reams Bible, the, older, the old Catholic Bible. It says, life on earth is warfare. Job chapter 7, verse 1, Dewey Reams. Life on earth is warfare. King David validates that in Psalm 23. He says about life, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. What is life? The valley of the shadow of death. And so we are here as Catholics to get out of here. Simple. We are here. To get out of here. And the Catholic Church is on a sabotage mission. Jesus Christ was deployed by God the Father. Deployed by God the Father. He, he parachuted into earth. We call that the incarnation. And his D-Day was his life, suffering, death, and resurrection. That was D-Day. All of us now are here following the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, who started the sabotage mission to take back what Satan had taken away through the sin of the first Adam and Eve and give back to God the Father everything that belongs to him under Christ. And so we are on planet Earth for a short time, short time, and we are here, as St. Paul says, to fight the good fight of faith. As King David says in Psalm 144, Lord, prepare my hands for battle and my fingers for war. When you look at the, the theology of the Old and New Testament, as it calls the believer, it calls us to battle, to fight, to wrestle. In fact, that first uh, Ephesians chapter 6, the, 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 the verse that you just deployed, it says, we do not struggle. The actual Greek word is, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and demons, and rulers in high places. These are demons. And so everything about the New Testament and the Old Testament is calling us to battle. That's why the church on earth has always been called by the popes, ecclesia militans, which means church militant you know jesse like men were made for battle and too many of us want to be comfortable you see catholics we're not made for comfort we're made for greatness and greatness is found in christ too many people want to be comfortable we're not here to be comfortable we're here to live in the culture but not be like the culture too many of us are just going along to get along. It doesn't work that way. Christ lived amongst his enemies to save them 
from who? Themselves. We have to get the Catholic men off the bench, Jesse. And this is why one of the main reasons why we love you and what you do. You reach a hand to the Catholic men out there. Too, for too long, the women are leading the game, leading the show. It can't be that way. Men were made to lead. We have to get them off the bench. Why is that important and how do we do it? Also, just real quick, but before you go and also address, Jesse, this one thing that we, we, we talk about again on the show all the time. There is no fence sitting in this battle. And we have to emphasize that. If you think you're going to sit on that fence, you're going to be forced to serve somebody. Might as well serve God. I want you to also, in the context of that, just address that also, please, Jesse. Yeah, uh, fence sitting is called lukewarmness. Revelation chapter 3, verse 15, our Lord says, I wish that you were hot or cold, but because you are lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth. That's somebody on the fence. He's not sure, should I be on fire or should I be an atheist, a stone-cold atheist? He's on the fence. Also, in the book of James, he also writes, the. Uh, he says, uh, an, an unstable man... Uh, he says, oh, no, a double-minded man, a double-minded man. In other words, today you're you're faithful, tomorrow you're a pagan. Today you're a man of God, tomorrow you're a pagan. J James says, a double-minded man, duplicity, like <clears throat> uh, some some people that run our country, duplicitous, doc, out of both sides of their mouth. James says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You are worthless to God and to your family and to your church if you are a double-minded person, okay? Christian on Sunday, a pagan on Monday. A husband on Sunday, a womanizer on Monday. The devil likes the, the mouth that both blesses and curses. He loves those people. He has them exactly where he wants. He's got them neutralized. And so as Catholic men, we're called to, Hebrews 12, 2, keep your eyes on Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. Keep your eyes on the prize. Keep your hands on the steering wheel. Don't veer off to the left. That's called liberalism, progressive thought, modernism. Don't veer off to the right. That's called sedificantism. You know, there is no church. The church has gone, you know, it disappeared 60 years ago. Don't veer off to the left, to the right. Keep your hands on the wheel. A bit, uh, stay faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. Stay faithful to the perennial perennial what's that the perennial teachings of the church which means what the catholic church has taught always everywhere and to everybody just i want to just follow up on one other thing about when we were talking about ephesians 6 because again we try to address common arguments that we hear uh in our travels when you when we say when we fight against these things let's just take abortion and um let's take abortion Okay, where we say we're fighting, we're wrestling against spiritual wickedness in high places or any other issue where you're dealing with on the one level an agenda and on another level individuals where I correct me if I'm wrong. When Paul says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, we're talking about people that we're called to love, to have compassion for, to be merciful for, because we're shown that by Christ. Okay, explain the difference to our audience, because a lot of people say, oh, well, you're so judgmental towards this group or that group or whatever the case may be. No, no, no. We're fighting against the spiritual, a spiritual battle against spiritual wickedness in high places. We're not judging individual people. In fact, we're trying to help them because they're the first and foremost victim of these agendas. Talk about that. We got about probably, Jesse, about another four minutes or so till the break. But hash that out a little bit for our audience, if you don't mind. 
you got primary evil. Those are called demons. You got secondary evil. Those are called human beings that are allowed to be manipulated by demons, deceived by demons. Demons work their nefarious deeds through people. And so as Catholics, the Bible calls us to judge behavior, people's actions. When I was a cop, I judged people's behavior. They went to jail or got a ticket based on their behavior. I was a judge of that. Judges in courts judge behavior in a court of law. Mom and dads judge behavior all day long. Teachers, counselors, principals, crossing guards, bosses at work, they write you up. Uh, you're coming late. They're judging your behavior. Supervisors. Behavior is something that we're called to judge in the Bible. Our Lord Jesus Christ tells us to judge behavior. What we're not allowed to do, only God can do, only God can ju judge the soul. For example, I can't say, you know, Fidel Castro, who's dead, is in hell. I don't know that. Now, I have a high degree looking at the course of his life as a communist dictator and what he did in Cuba, I have a high uh, certainty of and, and probability in my mind of where he's at. But I don't know that for sure because only has only God has that information. But can I judge his behavior? Absolutely. That man was a wicked man. He was evil incarnate in Cuba. He turned that Catholic society into a communist concentration camp. He was His behavior was wicked. He suppressed the truth. Where's his soul at right now? Not my business. God knows where he's at. He's the judge of, uh, of the soul at the end of life, not me. But I, we can certainly, the Bible certainly allows us and calls us to judge people's behavior. And a father is to protect. Just like you're a father, I'm a father of four. A father is to protect his home, his children. Men have to step up. You know, ultimately, you know, too many of us out there in this country, American men, what they want, they want their kids to play sports. They want their kids to get into an Ivy League school. I got news for you. Your primary you know, like, I guess, like, and goal for your kid is them, them to get into heaven. And at the minimum, if you're not taking your family to church, first of all, that's a mortal sin because we're all meant to go to church. It's a, it's a commandment, but that's not what we're seeing. It's not a priority. I always tell the story, Jess, I played baseball. I love baseball. I also played basketball. It's good Friday. I'm driving to church with my family at 20 to three. And Little League is going on. I wanted to stand on top of my minivan, stop the car, and be like, it's Good Friday. I know you're all Catholic. What are you doing? Where's your priority? And like you said, it's your actions. Listen, just because you go in the ocean doesn't mean you're a fish. Just because you sit into in a, in a garage doesn't mean you're a car. And just because you wear a cross around your neck doesn't mean you're Catholic. It's your actions, and men need to step up. They need to step up for their families. They need to step up for the country. And also, we're so afraid. We're so afraid. We're so afraid to open our mouth. I mean, how do you not judge behavior when the church teaches that one of the, I believe it's the one of the spiritual works of mercy is to admonish the sinner. Well, if you, if, but if you don't, again, that's an act of love. It's not an act of judgment or hatred. You're again, it is an act of judgment, but not judging the person. Judging, judging that person's actions, because if someone's doing something that we could demonstrate is destructive and sinful, of course, according to the teaching of the church, it is a pure act of love to say, hey, do you think that you ought to be doing that? Perhaps you should not be doing that. Yeah, that's right. I mean, uh, it's it's in the it's in the Catechism, paragraph twenty four forty seven. It's called the, uh, the the spiritual works of mercy. 
admonish the sinner. And so as a Catholic, we have an obligation to do so. Of course, as St. Paul says in Ephesians 4.15, he says, speak the truth in charity. So yeah, when you admonish somebody, you speak to him as a brother. It's called fraternal correction. Yeah. Um, let's... Uh... We're coming up on a break, so uh, we're going we're gonna to take a, just a short break, and then we're going to come back. But this is really, really an important conversation because, Jesse, we're, we're of the opinion, look, if you want, there's a lot of complaining going on out there, Jess. I don't have to tell you about that. One thing that Joe and I try to do all the time is to say, look, there's enough to complain about, and we point those things out. We need to point those things out. But solutions. See, that's what we're going to talk about. When we come back from the break, we're going to be talking about the five stones against the culture of death, which offers solutions, particularly to Catholic men. I, I tell people all the time, if you want to change the church, if you've got problems, let's say, for argument's sake, with things in the church, or you want to change America, whatever you want to change, the solution is first to start from within. So we're going to leave it there just for a minute and just let everybody know you're listening to The Frontline with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Network. Um, and we're talking with Jesse Romero. We're talking about the five stones against the culture of death. Please make sure to download the mobile app for Veritas Catholic Network. And by all means, follow Joe and I on our social media, which you can find us on uh, Facebook and YouTube uh, at The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Like, subscribe, share. Uh, do all that fun stuff. Jesse, you're at virginmostpowerfulradio.org, correct? Correct, correct. Make sure you follow Jesse, uh, you know, Jesse Romero and Terry Barber. Um, they have a great radio station out there on the West Coast. So stick around. We're going to take a break, and we'll talk to you on the other side. Catholic Radio works, and now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization where there's Catholic radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith, families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and his church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back, everyone, to The Frontline with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello, and we are way, way, way in the breach with Jesse Romero from Virgin Most Powerful Radio, um, and we, you're coming to, we are coming to you on Veritas Catholic Network, serving New York and Connecticut, 1350 on your AM dial, broadcasting to the New York metropolitan area, and please be sure to download the Veritas app, Veritas Catholic Network mobile app. So, Joe, I'm going to hand it over to you because we are going to get into the five stones against the culture of death. Jesse's show out in California, it's broadcasted on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. They always talk about these five stones. I actually think this is what it's all about in terms of changing the culture. Because as Joe Pasilla just said, before we change the culture, we got to change ourselves. And that begins with stone number one, which is praying the Holy Rosary. Padre Pio called the rosary the weapon. I always say this, men have to pray the rosary. This is not something for old ladies sitting in the back of the church. Why is this important, Jesse, to pray the rosary? Our Lady of Fatima told us to pray the rosary every single day. It takes 20 minutes. The man, who, the family that prays together stays together. It's so important. Let's talk about it. Let me give you, uh, let me try to go deep into why the rosary specifically is very powerful. We're, as Ephesians chapter 6 says, is that we're fighting against demons. He says principalities, powers, those are types of demons. Rulers in high places, that's a demon. And so the references that St. Paul mentions, those are all four types of demons in Ephesians chapter 6. How do you 
drive away a demon? How do you injure, torture, wound a demon? Make sure that you set up a defensive perimeter. The Catholic Church has always taught. This is old Catholic teaching. Heck, it goes back, I'll quote uh, St. Isaac of Syria back in 488 AD. He says, meditative prayer drives away evil spirits. 488 AD. What is the rosary? It's meditative prayer. Meditative prayer drives away evil spirits. Uh, St. Isaac of Syria, a father even for, before him, one of the doctors of the church, St. John, John Chrysostom, Archbishop of, of Constantinople, back in, he died in 407 AD. He says that prayer expels demons. Say it again. Prayer expels demons. Why? What's the theology of prayer? Most people have never heard this, okay? When you pray, it comes from your heart. St. Teresa of the Little Flower says, all prayer that's effective comes from the heart. But it's projected out of your mouth or out of your mind if it's meditative or contemplative. So it comes from the heart, out of the mouth, or out of the mind. Where does prayer go? The Bible tells us, I think it's in Psalm 141, uh, verse 1, it says that prayer rises into heaven like incense. Yeah, Psalm 141, verse 2. Prayer rises into the air like incense. Well, what's the theology of prayer? Who carries it? The Catholic Church has always taught this. You know who carries prayer? Angels. That's one of the jobs of an angel. Prayer leaves your soul, rises up like incense. Angels come. Woo! Revelation chapter 8, Tobit chapter 12. It's all over the Bible. Angels take your prayer to God. This is the theology of prayer. Angels are in the cosmos. That means the air in Greek, the air, the heavenly places. Who else is in the cosmos? Demons. Angels and demons are in the cosmos, in the heavenly places, in the air. Your prayer is being taken up like incense by the angels to God. And at the same time, you're doing an Air Force military airstrike against demons who are also in the air because our pray the theology of prayer, St. Cyprian of Carthage, Tertullian, I mean, I could go on and on. This is old Catholic teaching. The theology of prayer, it injures, wounds, and torments demons. This is Catholic teaching that's been forgotten. This is patristic, medieval, Catholic understanding of prayer. That's why St. Padre Pio would say things like, prayer is the best weapon. The rosary is my weapon. Why? Because he understands the fathers of the church. He understands the medieval scholars of the church. He understands what prayer does. There is nothing. Prayer sets up a defensive perimeter around you. And if you're the man, it sets up a defensive perimeter around your family. Much like the man in the book of Exodus chapter 12 had to kill an unblemished lamb under two years and take the blood of the lamb and put it around the doorpost of his house. The man had to do that. And what happened if the man did that? The wife and the children were protected from the angel of death. A man's prayers are nuclear. A man's prayers have 
patriarchal protection from God. And this is why the devil goes after men, because he wants to neutralize men, because every single man has an AR-15. And every single man, every prayer that comes out of his mouth is a 223 round that's taking down a demon. And so they know they want to nullify the power of patriarchal prayer. So they're going after men with all kinds of vices. Prayer also, again, it's not only an offensive weapon, as I said, it has an offensive nature to it. It also sets up a defensive perimeter. Prayer also, St. Clement of Alexandria, is conversation with God. When you die... When you, when you stand before the, the, the throne of Jesus Christ, he's never going to say, I know you. Come in. Well done, my faithful servant. Come in. I know you. <laughs> or he's going to say, I don't know you. Depart from me, you evil servant. Why? If you're a Catholic that's been praying to him, to his friends, the saints, the angels, to his mother, Mary, when you die, Jesus is going to say, <laughs> I know you, dude. Come on in. Come on in. Jesse, you, one of the things about the rosary is when uh, when it was uh, basically given to, and please correct me if I'm wrong, I believe it was St. Dominic, it was uh, something to defend the church against heresy. And one of the heresies, obviously, we're talking about uh, the five stones against the culture of death. A heresy in our culture right now is an attack against marriage, which is same-sex marriage. That is a heresy because marriage is between a man and a woman. The rosary, when we pray the rosary, it's like sitting on the lap of our mother and she, and we're going to get into the other stones, helps us to discern what is true. Talk a little bit about how it protects us against heresy and leads us away from it. Yeah. St. Dominic received the rosary from the blessed mother in 1214 AD. And she and, and he was it was given to him specifically to defeat the heresy of Albigensianism, which was which was another form of Gnosticism, separating the soul from the body. Matter is evil, only the spirit is good. But the rosary is a weapon for all heresies. Right now we're living in the worst heresy known to the Catholic Church. It's called the heresy of modernism. And it's, it's basically taken over many parts of the church. Modernism is the heresy that basically says, I don't care what the Bible says. I don't care what the church says. I don't care what divine revelation says. I don't care what sacred tradition says. It's all about what I say. It's all about what I believe is real. So, you know, if I'm a man, but tomorrow I think I'm a woman, it doesn't care what, it doesn't matter what science says. It doesn't say what, matter what my birth certificate or the chromosomes of my body say. It's what I feel is right. That's the heresy of modernism, and it's in the church. And this is, this is the most insidious, the most dangerous heresy that we're fighting. And the Blessed Virgin Mary, one of her titles, she's called the crusher of heresies. And so as Catholics, what, what does the rosary do? I'll tell you what it does. Uh, this great exorcist, Father Ermatinger, he's an exorcist, I think, in Wisconsin. He says that prayer, it helps you, it helps you take custody and purifies your intellect. Why? Because prayer is the repetition of the doctrines and dogmas of the church. Our Father, who art in heaven, I believe in one God. Re prayer is the repetition of the dogmas and doctrines of the church. And so this is why uh, prayer 
it's it, it takes custody of your intellect it purifies your intellect it strengthens your will now because now you know what's right and what's wrong clearly because you're repeating the doctrines and dogmas of the church and also what it does is it snaps your emotions back into place because demons have access to your emotions your passions and your appetite saint thomas aquinas says the demons have access to the lower faculties below the waist demons have access to your lower faculties prayer what it does it masters the emotions it purifies it snaps your emotions back into place and it makes your emotions subject to your purified intellect your intellect purified by the word of God. One of the biggest things that we could get to our heads is that we live in a culture, this culture of death that we're talking about, the stones where, where we're, that we're going to pick up and throw against the culture of death. That's one of the biggest things we need to tell people or ask people when they propose some of these things. Do you Are you an animal? Do your passions control your reason? Or does your reason control your passions? Now, having said that, we got to move on to the Eucharist. Uh, so go ahead, Joe. Second stone is the Holy Eucharist. Sadly, seven out of 10 Catholics, I'm going to give you a little Pew research for our listeners. Seven out of 10 Catholics say they personally believe that during the Catholic Mass, the bread and wine used in communion are symbols of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Only 31% of our Catholic brothers and sisters believe that the body and blood, true divinity of Christ is contained in the Eucharist. It is Christ. It's not a symbol. Now, how do we change that? Maybe I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to basically say, how am I going to change it? I need to become a saint. Saints change the world. Maybe God's going to say to me, Joe, you've been given a lot. Why weren't you a saint? Saints change the world, and the Eucharist is viaticum. That's a fancy word. It's food for the journey. We need the Eucharist. Christ said, you have no life within you unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. Jesse, why is this a stone? I'll tell you because this is the apex of Catholicism. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is this is everything or it's nothing. This is either God incarnate who's taken the appearance of bread and wine, or this is simply a, a simple and a, a symbol and a mirage. The fact of the matter is Jesus Christ could not be more emphatically clear that he would perform the miracle of the real presence at every consecration, and he promised that to the successors of the apostles at the Last Supper. Catholics and Protestants are light years apart on this. Catholics believe that's God after the words of consecration in the altar. On, uh, under the appearance of that sacred host and in the precious chalice containing the precious blood. We believe that's God. Period. Protestants don't. They say that's a symbol. Well, I'll tell you one thing. I'll tell you who does believe that that's Jesus Christ. Talk to any Satanist. Talk to a witch. Talk to a sorcerer. Talk to an occultist. They teach their people, you must go into Catholic churches and steal their Holy Communion because that is Jesus Christ. And we want to perform sacrilege against Jesus Christ, who takes the appearance of bread and wine in the Catholic Mass. And so it's funny, the enemies of the church, they know they know that the Eucharist is Jesus Christ. Who else knows that? Muslims during the Middle Ages, during the Crusades, it was very interesting. They knew 
what Catholics believed was, was, was contained in those golden tabernacles. You know what they used to do to Catholic priests in the Middle Ages? During war, when they would take in prisoners of war after a battle, and they would find out that you were a Catholic priest, what did they do to all, what did Muslims do to Catholic priests? They cut their hands off, and they cut their tongue off. So when you went to a jail full of Catholics in the Middle Ages, a Muslim jail, you knew who the priests were. They were all the men that had no tongue, and they had stumps for hands, just their wrist. Though, because the, the, the Muslims know they call down God with their mouth and with their hands. So it's very interesting that the enemies of the church have more faith in the real presence than Catholics. But let me give you a great father of the church that nails it for me. If you want to know uh, how you can become strong to defend your family, strong in the Lord to fight against the diabolical, St. John Chrysostom one of the 38 doctors of the church there's only 38 doc the doctors of the church are the navy seals of catholicism okay there's millions of catholics millions of saints in heaven only 38 saints that are considered doctors that doesn't mean they went to some liberal university here in the u.s that's not what it means they didn't go to harvard no they didn't go to harvard <laughs> a doctor of the church is a saint whose intellect was so well formed and their understanding of God, prayer, the interior life was so advanced that they broke the glass ceiling and taught us Catholics things that we'll be pondering for the rest till the second coming of Christ. St. John Chrysostom said this, you want to know when you're most fearful to a demon? He writes this, when, quote, when it wrote this in 407, when a demon sees you go out from the Lord's banquet, the demon flees you as if you were a lion breathing fire from your mouth. The demon, faster than the wind, he leaves you and does not dare approach. When the demon sees your tongue red with blood, believe me, he does not resist. When the demon sees your mouth glowing red, he turns back terrified close quote you are never more fearful to a demon than when you receive the holy eucharist the body and blood of jesus is in your mouth and what the demon sees is a lion breathing fire walking back to the pew Amen, brother. We got to get Amen. to the third stone, but I just want to say one thing to our listeners out there. Obviously, that is something that is a sad statistic. 30% of Catholics do not believe in the true presence, but God loves everybody. And God has, has to be seen in our lives. And I think that's the best way to basically show people that God is truly present in the tabernacle. But what I would invite people to do is go to adoration, sit in front of the Lord and say these simple words. I don't believe in you, but I want to help me. And he will. Why? Because God loves you. God loves you. And if you do that, it's, it's Lent. Do it 15 minutes every week. Say, I don't believe in you, but I want to. God will show you the way. All right, let's, uh, just for those of you joining us, you're at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello, way in the breach with Jesse Romero on Veritas Catholic Network. Um, and uh, we're going to move on. I want to just mention, Jesse, um, in moving on to uh, scripture, okay? Uh, I've been doing Exodus 90. Got a good bunch of guys up in uh, Connecticut, 
all right, where Veritas is. We're in Jersey. And um, so I joined them for Exodus 90. There's many fruits to it. Are you familiar with that Exodus 90, Jess? Yeah, I've done it twice. I've done it twice. Yeah. What? And, it, and it's very, very fruitful. Okay, I will say this, though. One of, the, one of the best things for me, aside from the disciplines and everything else, is the fact that you get daily scripture readings um, that you incorporate into your holy hour. So I'm getting, re I'm, so it's a, it's a passage from the book of Exodus and then the gospel for that day. Um, St. Jerome said, ignorance of scripture is ignorance of Christ. Um, why, why, tell, tell our audience, Jesse, why is it so important to read scripture and to do so frequently? Because just like your body needs water and, and food, the soul needs the food of the word of God and the sacraments. The only way to nourish your soul is by meditating on the word of God and also receiving the word of God in sacrament. Now, what's the goal in life? The goal in life is to know Jesus. That's, that's life's greatest pursuit. Well, you just said it, Joe. How can you really know Jesus at a deep level if you're not reading God the Father's love letter? St. Augustine calls the Holy Bible God the Father's love letter. And, 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 and basically, the Bible is a menu. Where's the beef in the Bible? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Right there. Jesus. Jesus is the filet mignon. He's the beef. He's what holds it all together. In fact, the Catechism says that the four Gospels occupy the most important place in all of Scripture. And so if the goal in life is to get to know Jesus, we should probably read the book with the four eyewitnesses, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It was funny. When Archbishop Sheen received an award years ago for a television show that he did, he says, I would like to thank my screen or my script writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, uh, here's another way of kind of understanding the Bible. Bible. B-I-B-L-E. Basic instruction before leaving earth. There it is. B-I-B-L-E. Basic instruction before leaving earth. God did not design the Bible to be this dark puzzle for bright scholars. God gave us the Bible so that it could be a bright lamp for travelers in a dark world. So Jesse, we, we got about, um, we got about, I don't know, eight or nine minutes left, but we want to get to the last two stones. Very important. But thank you for that. Because I think it's important for us to tell people not in a, not in a heavy handed way, but let people know um, that basically, you know, those members of the organization, which gave the church that those, the, the, the Bible. Okay. And the, the, the call letters you just said, okay. Should remember that, you know, it's there for us to read, too. We should know it better than anybody else. So I know we're going to move on to the fourth stone. As Joe said, we're talking about the five stones. These are our weapons for battle. We talked about the Holy Eucharist. That's our first stone, the second stone. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, pray the rosary, first stone. Holy Eucharist, second stone. Third stone, read the Bible every day. Our fourth stone is fasting. Jesse, why is fasting a powerful tool in our toolbox? Well, the... Uh Mark 9.29, our blessed Lord says that the, the, the apostle said, Lord, we're trying to drive out these demons and we can't. Our Lord says, some demons can only be driven out by prayer and fasting, Mark 9.29. Well, what, what does that mean? Let me give you, let me tell you how they work together. Think about a sword, okay? The Bible's called the sword of the spirit. 
One's, one edge of the sword is prayer, and the other edge of the sword is fasting. Or another way to put it, think about a sword and a file. Prayer is the sword. Fasting is the file. Fasting makes your prayer sharper, more powerful, uh, more effective. Why? Because now prayer is an activity of the soul. Fasting is an activity of the body. So when you fast and pray, you got the total person involved in prayer. You got the total person, as St. Paul says, you know, uh, in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, your spiritual worship. Fasting brings the body into prayer and so now the total person is praying to God. And remember, fasting is also a form of penance. It's also a form of suffering. So when you suffer and you unite your sufferings to God on the cross, your, your sufferings united with the Lord on the cross for the mystical body of Christ, well, again, now your sufferings take on an infinite value. Because when they're united to Jesus, your sufferings mean nothing apart from uniting them to Jesus. Once you unite your sufferings to Jesus, now your sufferings take upon infinite value. And now your prayers and sufferings are efficacious for other members in the body of Christ. Penance and fasting makes, makes Christianity or makes, makes a person a participant because Christianity is not a spectator sport. It requires your full participation. Excellent. Let's talk the fifth stone, Jesse, because this is so important. It's regular confession. Padre Pio, Fulton Sheen, and John Paul II said that we should go to confession once a month. I'm going to listen to them. They were Two of them are saints, and Fulton Sheen's going to be a saint. There's no sure doubt in be. my mind. Um <laughs> There's so many efficacious aspects of going to confession regularly. Obviously, we're forgiven our sins, but also we're given grace to overcome our sins. This is how we grow in virtue. Too many people, particularly Catholic men, they're not going to confession. Talk about why we need to. Uh, you took the words right out of my mouth is because... We need those sacramental graces, even so we can purify ourselves from those those minor defects called venial sins, and so that we can embrace a life of virtue. Because the co the goal for us as Catholics is to get to heaven, and how do you get to heaven? You got to strive for holiness. Hebrews chapter twelve, uh, and 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 who gets to heaven? Revelation twenty one twenty seven. Nothing unclean will enter into the kingdom of heaven, and so confession is one of the two of the seven sacraments. Confession and communion are the two recurring sacraments, kind of like a boxer's speed bag, kind of like somebody who's training for, you know, some type of a sport, uh, jogging every single day, road work, road work, road work, road work. Confession and communion are the spiritual road work for the soul that helps us habituate a life, embrace a life of moral excellence, a life of virtue, and a life where we're able to overcome vice. And in fact, if you want to talk about some of the, here's kind of what happens even theologically uh, in the sacrament of confession. The sacrament of confession, I'll paint a picture. It's like going back 2,000 years ago 
and embracing the trunk of the cross of Jesus Christ and squeezing the cross and letting the, the blood of Jesus wash and purify you and make you clean. That's what the sacrament of confession does. You go back and you're squeezing the cross of Christ and it is the blood of Jesus that's cleansing you. Fulton Sheen says that when the priest in confession raises his right hand, Archbishop Fulton Sheen says the priest's right hand is dripping with the blood of Jesus from finger all the way to elbow, dripping with the blood of Jesus. And as he gives you absolution, the blood of Jesus is washing you clean and falling all over you. Also, what does absolution do? We need this because when you commit mortal sin, most people don't realize <clears throat> that mortal sin, it actually binds you to a demon. It binds you to a demon of anger, demon of lust, or whatever. Just like living in a state of grace binds you to God. So when you bind yourself to a demon by a life of vice, especially mortal sin, here's what happens in absolution. The word absolve in Latin, it literally means in Latin to untie the bond or to remove the bond of justice. So confession is a minor exorcism. It breaks the tie to the demon so you're no longer bound to that sin or to the effects of that sin. We went through all five stones for our listeners. Once again, first stone, pray the Holy Rosary. Second stone, Holy Eucharist. Third stone, read your Bible every day. Fourth stone, fasting. Fifth stone, confession. Jesse, we got about two minutes left. Let's have some final thoughts. Give us your thoughts on hope in this culture, this battle against the culture of death. Um, and, uh, you know, just, you know, finish it up there. As Catholics, um, the words of St. Father Pio, we need to take him to heart. He says, uh, pray, hope, and don't worry. Worry is useless. God is merciful, and God will hear our prayer. As Catholics, we're called to be a lighthouse, uh, uh, you know, in this, in, uh, uh, amidst this uh, gathering storm, amidst the culture of death. I know I was part of the movement, MAGA, Make America Great Again, but there is a, a more powerful movement uh, that we can call it, you know, PAGA. Pray America great again. Not only do we use public policy and, and politics, we but more important, this also has to be reinforced with prayer. Pray America great again. Don't be afraid. That verse is found 366 times in the Holy Bible. Don't be afraid. We're called to be great saints. Don't miss the opportunity. You got one life to live. We're on stage right now. We're performing. Set yourselves apart from this corrupt generation. Uh, uh, find yourselves good Catholic friends, good Catholic male fellowship. And uh, remember, uh, life is short. Death is for sure. Sin is a problem. And Jesus is the cure. Well we're, well, we're glad that we have you as a friend, Jesse, and we're glad for, we're glad for our and, and and very grateful for our fraternity with you. So we want to thank you very much. Very quickly, Jesse, where can people find your social media and the radio show? Yeah, you can find me. Uh, if you want to invite me to your parish, go to jesseromero.com. You can invite me by going there and contacting me there. I'm on social media. I'm on Gab. You can find follow me over on Gab. Also, I'm on social media through vmpr.org, vmpr.org. That's virginmostpowerfulradio.org. 
Thanks again, Jesse Romero. Thank you, dear brothers and sisters, for joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Network, bringing the truth of the Catholic faith to New York and Connecticut at 1350 on your AM dial. For all our content, please be sure to download the Veritas Catholic Network mobile app. And please follow Joe and Joe on Facebook and YouTube. Like, subscribe, share, do all that fun stuff. And remember, until the next time, that our conversation is your conversation. And that conversation, it's going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.